I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there is nothing better than worship. Worship is the ultimate means. It is the ultimate end. And uh, we will look at that ultimate end in uh, October 22nd service. And we focus on worship that day and look at Revelation 4 and 5. Those who are four to six years old, you can go to your class at this time. The rest of us are going to go to Romans 5. Romans 5. You can put a bookmark in 2 Corinthians 12 if you are still there, and we'll come back to that, but it's uh, halfway, through, halfway through the service. I will preach first, and then we'll have communion uh, second. If you're watching and you didn't uh, watch last week's message from Romans 4, 23 to 25, let me encourage you to pause here and watch that uh, first. If you're here live, you can't pause me and we'll watch that first. So, uh, But I would encourage you to, um, to not just skip around in Romans. It is logical. It's prog- uh, intentional and it goes in order. And so we're going to build on last week's message of our salvation is 100% guaranteed. And if anything is 100% guaranteed, you should expect some results. If you buy a car and they say a money-back guarantee, you will drive that car like thinking, if I don't like it in 30 days, I can take it back. What would you be thinking as those 30 days go on? You're like, I have nothing to worry about at all. So the results of our sure salvation are also sure. Because our salvation is sure, the results can be expected. And we're going to get a half of the message done today from Romans 5, 1 to 3a. So we're going to go only to the beginning of 3. 
our missionary speaker next week, and so in two weeks we'll pick it up again in Romans 5, and you're welcome to read ahead and meditate on, on Romans 5. So sure results. There are guarantees without results. We all have probably bought a product or two or a hundred, and we're expecting something different than we got. We read reviews of the product and thought, eh, who's telling the truth? There are some people who give a five-star review and other people that give a one-star. Which one is true? Which product am I going to get? One that's a waste of money? One that's the best thing ever? And when it comes to our salvation, we don't have to be wondering, is it a one-star salvation? Are there some people who walk away from Jesus and say, this was a complete waste of time. All my years in church, all my years in youth group, Christian school, Christian education, whatever it is, and it was a complete waste of time. There are people who give those kind of reviews to Christianity. But I would say I'm not sure that they have a sure salvation. Because according to Scripture, there are expected and sure results of a sure salvation. So anyone who, has, who claims to be a Christian and walks away, their life does, is not going to look like Romans 5. And then we have to go back, if it's logical, we've got to go back and say, was their life really Romans 4? And if that's not the case, we've got to go back to Romans 3. Was their life more like Romans 3? And we say, oh, yeah, it probably was. Something didn't happen for them. They weren't born again. They weren't alive on the inside. They were a fake. They were just going through the motions. And like the soils, the parable of the soils, when things get hard, when the cares of this world come around, when the deceitfulness of riches is dangled in front of them, Christianity is, uh, well, it doesn't work for me anymore. I'm going to go after the cares of this world. And they leave the church. So they probably never had a sure salvation. So Romans 5 is very helpful because if salvation is 100% guaranteed, then it should change the way we behave. It should change the way we think. It should change what we love. It can change everything about us. And our final slide will be uh, how we change. But for now, Romans 5, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, that's Christ, we have also obtained the access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I know I read more than three, but that will be, that's a paragraph there. And we'll get the rest of three and four and five, Lord willing, in two weeks. So what are the sure results that we see? And these sure results are combined with or connected with words like and and also. And so I have a separate slide for each uh, of the results of our sure salvation. What do you see there in verse 1? Therefore, 
since we have been justified. Another translation says, having been justified by faith. Assuming that whenever we trust in Christ alone, God gives us his righteousness. And how do we know that we have God's righteousness? What Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Jesus paid for our sins and he was raised for our justification. He did everything necessary for our salvation. And if our faith is in what has already been accomplished, then our salvation is secure. I'm not going to re-preach last week, but go back and listen to a, re- a review of, of last week, Romans 4, 23 to 25. So the therefore is a connection. Because our salvation is sure, therefore, having been justified, or since we have been justified by faith. He reiterates what all of chapter 4 was about. Salvation is by faith alone. We're not going to do that or look at it again, but that is the connection. So since we have been justified by faith, what do we expect to be true in our lives? Every Christian. We have peace with God. That's a wonderful three words that are worth meditating on day and night. Do you have peace with God? How do you live when you have peace with God? Very differently when you don't have peace with God. Every single Christian, the result of their salvation, the first thing Paul mentions here is every single Christian, because your salvation is secure, you have peace with God. We sing about that peace in a song called Jesus, Thank You. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Imagine a table in heaven where God the Father presides over that table and there is always a seat for you. I don't know if you've been to a a party or a We'll have a fellowship lunch next week, and if more of you come than we have seats for, it's like, uh, uh we're scrambling. I'd like to put another table together and, and make sure that everyone feels welcome to stay at a fellowship lunch, because that's how we want it to be, but we don't know exactly how many people are coming, so we plan for more, and that's just how it is. But when it comes to God, because your salvation is 100% guaranteed, a result of that security is we have peace with God. You were once an enemy. You say, I wasn't that bad. Well, look back at Romans 1 to 3, and you'll see yourself there. And you were that bad. You were an enemy. You were hostile. You were once dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 1 says. Your picture and my picture before my identity, before salvation was was awful. I was once an enemy of God. And enemies don't get seats at the table. Only friends and family do. And God makes us who were once his enemy, his children. Children expect to have a seat at the table. If I intentionally have five seats at my dining room table, my kids, which are four kids, are going to say, who doesn't get a seat? (laughs) What's going on? If we have guests over, we count the seats. We count the place settings. Why? Because everyone has a seat. Everyone we want to be there. 
And God says, you were once my enemy, but I had a seat at the table for you. It's prepared. And now that you have come to faith in Christ alone, look at the end of verse 1. We have peace with God. How do we have peace with God? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll build on that in verse 2, but the only way we have peace with God is not through our works. It's not through our own effort, not because we're better than anyone else. The only reason anyone has a seat at God's table is because he has come to God's table through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. That's what Lord means. Jesus, he, that means Savior. He is our Savior from sin. Christ, He is our King. He is our Master, our Savior, and our King. And every Christian's going to agree to that. Yes, He's my Master. He's my Savior. He's my King. And God says, welcome to the table. Have a seat. You were once an enemy of your Creator. That makes no sense. Why? Because how much do we know about the power of God in chapter 4? He's the one who can call into existence things that don't exist. Look at the stories in the Old Testament, those who rejected God, like Pharaoh. Did he know about the power of God after he rejected God and rejected God and rejected God and rejected God and rejected God? Ten times at least? Absolutely. And it still wasn't enough. He still sent his army into the Red Sea, and he lost all of them. After that, Pharaoh should have thought, it is very foolish to fight against God. He's no match for God. No one is a match for God. All the immoral of chapter 1 of Romans are not a match for God. You can suppress the truth and unrighteousness, but you can't deny that there is truth. You have to have peace with God. And there is no peace for the wicked. Only peace for the righteous. And where do we get righteous? Chapter 4 of Romans. It's through faith. God gives us His righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first result is peace with God. I'm going to read for you, if you want to join me, Colossians chapter 1. We read this uh, a week ago, in our, a week and a half ago in our Bible reading uh, for Sunday school. But Colossians 1 talking about the preeminence of Christ and how He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, and by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth and under the earth, whether thrones or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All ways that Paul is, is helping us to see the preeminence of our Savior. Look at verse 19 of Colossians 1. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20. And through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself, I believe that's the Father, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
beautiful language of our Savior and what He accomplished for us who were once enemies, hostile in mind, hostile in life. And we have been reconciled to God through Christ, through Christ alone. We have peace with God. The second thing we have back in Romans 5 and verse 2. Through him, through Christ, same language of verse 1, through him we have also, so this is something different than the peace, but it adds to it. We also not only just have peace with God, but through him we also obtained access or have an introduction by faith. It's almost like Jesus, if we come to the table and other people at the table don't know us, and if you show up at my house and I don't know you, but you, let's say you work with my, one of my kids, and my kids say, oh yeah, I, I forgot to tell you, mom and dad, I invited my coworker, and this is his name or her name. I say, oh, I didn't know you're coming. Let me get a, ta- a seat for you. And it's fine because you know my children. And you're welcome at my table if you're friends of my kids. This is how it works. This is how it works at God's table too. We are welcomed at his table because we know his son. And his son says, let me introduce you to your new brother or sister. Here is once an enemy, and now you're seated at the table. How did you get here? How did you get at the table? Well, everyone at the table, besides the father and the son, are there because of Christ. And it's through Christ that we have obtained access or introduction by faith. We've trusted in Christ, that Christ promised that we would have God's righteousness, that we would be right with God, we would have peace with God. And so we've trusted Christ. Christ comes through because He is perfectly trustworthy. And we have obtained access. Access into what? Look at verse 2. Into this grace. This is a wonderful table. It's not a table with cheap food, with flies all on the food. This is a feast. A table which everyone wants to be there. No one paid for this food except for the Son, provided graciously by the Father. And we have access. We've been introduced by faith into this grace. We have all gained access to God's positional grace. Every single Christian, we are saved by grace. We gain access to God's table by grace. We all are there because of Christ and the Father's grace in which we stand we stand as a a symbol of confidence we're standing on the grace of god so we are positioned in god's grace so we have gained access to god's grace we sing about this and before the throne of god above behold him there the risen lamb my perfect spotless righteousness Jesus is our perfect, spotless righteousness. He is the reason we're at the table. The great, unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. 
We can't sing too much about grace, and there are so many songs about grace, wonderful grace of Jesus. And the list of songs go on and on. Jesus is the King of glory. He's also the King of grace. We have obtained access to God's grace. Grace is a powerful gift. The only reason we're at the table is we have peace with God through Christ, and we have gained access to God's grace by what Christ has done for us. And if you're unsure of what Christ has done for you, go back and look at verses 24 and 25 of Romans 4. Then we have a word that um, is says uh, rejoicing, or elsewhere it's translated to boast. If you look this word up, the primary definition is boasting, or we would say today uh, we're proud of somebody, or parents boasting, or grandparents boasting in their grandchildren, okay? We hear this a lot, and that's fine. Um, so what is it in verse, um, the end of verse 2? That was the beginning of verse 2. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and so something different, but adding to we have access to God's grace, is, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's a lot in that phrase. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hold your hand here and go back to Romans 3.23. And we have heard of the glory of God before in Romans. What does Romans 3.23 teach us about the glory of God? There's no distinction Let's read verse 22 as well. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there's no distinction. There's no partiality with God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God made us to glorify Him or to please Him. And every time we don't please God, it's a sin. It's falling short. That's what sin is. Sin is a, we missed the mark. We fell short. The standard's up here, and the best of people are way down here. No one is good enough to get to heaven. All of us are sinners. And we have lists of sins throughout Scripture, and Romans 1, 2, and the, first, the more than half of Romans 3 tells us about how all of us are sinners. And because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. God wanted us to be glorifying to Him. That's why He created us, to glorify Him. But we, in our rebellion, in our sin, we chose to disobey Him and not glorify Him. So how do we get at the table? We have peace with God. We have access to God's grace. And now in verse, uh, the second part of verse 2, we rejoice or we boast in hope of the glory of God. We were once, we fell short of the glory of God. Now, how are we hoping in what we fell short in? We can't, we can't forget what we learned in chapter 4. How did we get in a position where we are now glorifying God? Where Romans 3 says, we weren't glorifying God. How do we get to the place where we're now, all of us are glorifying God as Christians? Someone glorified God for us. His name is Jesus. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He submissively 
went to the cross and took your sin and my sin on his body on the tree. He paid for all of our sin perfectly. He glorified the Father even in his death. He laid down his life in perfect obedience to the Father. He earned, he obeyed, he received the glory of God. His life perfectly glorified God. How do we get, at, get to God's table? It is only through Christ. So opposite of Romans 3.23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And now here we are. A result of our salvation is we boast or we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're sitting there as once dead in trespasses and sins. And we look to our older brother, Jesus, who has paid for all of our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he perfectly glorified the Father. He did not fall short of the glory of God. And that's our hope. That's why we're there. That's why we deserve to be there. It's only because of him. And if it's anything because of us, the hope is gone because we are all sinners still. But he is a, the perfect son. And our faith is in that what he accomplished. And our hope is in that he glorified God. And now here we are as recipients of his righteousness. The third thing here is we can rejoice or boast in the hope of God's glory. And it has nothing to do with our works. Because our works leaves us at Romans 3.23. But Christ's righteousness and our faith in him alone ends us at Romans 5.2. See, all have fallen, sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ did not. We gain access to the table through Christ. We enjoy the grace of God through Christ. And we enjoy hope of the glory of God through Christ as well. Everything is through him. Don't forget it. Because if we forget it, then our hope's going to be diminished. Even though we should have hope. Every Christian should have hope of God's glory. None of us have to fear that when we don't... we or we don't deserve to be at God's table. We, don't, we are going to be shut out of heaven. None of us have to worry about that. Because if our faith is in Christ alone, he's done everything it is that we need to happen for us to glorify God. And we can rejoice, boast in the hope. And you'll see Paul talk about that in Galatians 6. We'll see it again uh, in the next point in 2 Corinthians 12 that we read uh, together. With Christ's righteousness, we can glorify our Father in heaven. And that's what we should be. This is an expected result of our salvation. We rejoice or boast in the hope of God's glory. And it's not the hope of us glorifying God. It's that Christ has glorified God. That's our boast. What's Paul say in Galatians? I believe it's 6. I'm going to boast in the cross by which the world has been 
crucified to me and I to the world. I'm just going to live for Christ. Rejoicing in hope of God's glory. And then the first part of verse 3. Not only that, he keeps adding to the results of our sure salvation, sure results. Not only that, not only are we rejoicing in the hope, not only are we have obtained access to God's grace, not only do we have peace with God, but we also, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. If you're suffering, you may not like to see this verse. Your instant reaction to this is like, what? Rejoicing in sufferings? But this isn't the first time the Bible talks about rejoicing in various trials. The very first book of the New Testament written was James. And the very first chapter, the very first idea that James gives us is count it all joy or only rejoice when you have various trials. You're like, what? How do you rejoice or boast in your sufferings? You know what was written right before Romans? 2 Corinthians. Do you know what we read in our scripture reading? 2 Corinthians 12. Near the end of the previous book that Paul wrote, just before Romans, was a lengthy passage, 10 verses that he talked about. I could boast in this and this, but instead of boasting, God gave me a thorn in the flesh and taught me a valuable lesson through that thorn in the flesh so that I would never boast in this flesh. Instead, I'm going to rather boast in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, where the world could even mock us and say, you're a child of God and God's allowing you to go through that? Yeah. We look at our trials and our sufferings very differently as a result of our sure salvation. And he's going to tie it to a number, a list here, a chain, and we're not going to have time today to look at this whole chain. We're just going to look at the first thing, which is we rejoice or boast in our sufferings. Financial hardship, relational hardship, physical hardships, and the list goes on and on and on of how we suffer in this life. We struggle here in this life. Life is very hard. Our sin makes life hard, let alone other people's sin around us. And the closer that sin is to us, the more we feel the consequences and the effects of that sin. It weighs us down. It is hard to imagine a day where we, we don't think about sin, our sin or someone else's. And how can, if it's not ours, how can we help that person in their sin and the consequences that they're getting for that sin and how their sin is affecting their family? our church family, and not only just sin, but just physical trials, financial trials. Whenever you have a grown child who walks away from God or is making extremely poor, foolish choices, it affects you. And whenever you come to church and you weep, you know what happens? We weep with you. As a body, as a family here, your grief, we grieve with you. You don't have to grieve alone. If you're grieving, don't believe Satan's lie that church is the worst place for you when you're grieving. Please come. In your hardest, darkest times, please come. 
open up to somebody about your grief here. And we'll help you. We'll help lament with you. One third of the Psalms are grieving over sin, grieving over um, other people's sin, your own sin. And there are many ways to talk to God in grief and sorrow. And this is what we are to rejoice or boast in. What will the world think? They'll think we've lost our minds. But it's not. It's a sure result of our salvation that we rejoice in our sufferings, that we boast in our sufferings. Second Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, as Paul asked three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God responds with this, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. See, our power is made perfect in strength. Whenever we win a race, we win a prize, we win a promotion, we win something, we get more glory. But when God uses these weak bodies and He gets glory through us, especially when He saves us, He gets the glory for raising someone who was dead to him back to life. He gets the glory for the rottenest of sinners to be now seated at his table. He gets all the glory. And he allows us to suffer in this life. And when we learn this valuable lesson and see it as a sure result of our salvation, that because we are secure in Christ, that weaknesses don't remove us from our security in Christ. It actually secures us even more, helps us to realize you are secure in Christ. And if you and I will choose, apart from how we feel, to boast in our sufferings, we'll understand the joy of our salvation even more. See, rejoicing, boasting in God's suffering plan. What do we tell the martyrs of Christianity down through the ages? Rejoice in God's suffering plan. What do we tell everyone who has died, we would say, a premature death? We rejoice in God's suffering plan. What about really difficult, relational, financial, the list goes on and on of how we suffer here in this life? We rejoice in God's suffering plan. I wouldn't have put this here if I was writing a letter to the Romans, but God's Holy Spirit knows what all of us need. That it's not just when we trust Christ and we're secure in Christ that everything is happy. You won't find happiness often. You'll find a lot of suffering in the New Testament. And Paul writing many letters as we have read in Sunday school, don't despise my chains. Don't despise my suffering. Stand with me as I'm in prison. Oh, for the cause of Christ. So Paul had a physical thorn in the flesh, and then circumstances, and he has lists of things that he suffered in Corinthians. But he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. You will have and I will have ministry opportunities 
to people that suffer like we have suffered or are suffering. Because if you have God's grace, and you surely do, because your salvation is sure in Romans 4, and now the results of your salvation are Romans 5, we can rejoice and boast in God's suffering plan. And he's, he's going to tell us why we should do that uh, next in, in two weeks. A wonderful result of our salvation is secure. Also in 2 Corinthians um, chapter uh, 4. If you want to join me there or you just want to listen, that's fine. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He talks about the glory of God. He talks about we have this treasure of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. I'm in verse uh, 9. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body uh, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Skip down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. You say, God, it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary. This has been going on for years. Okay, how long are years compared to eternity? Okay, they're short. So what do we expect? God's grace, because we have access to God's grace, positionally, because we're at the table back in chapter 5. But here, we don't lose heart. We don't get discouraged. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, we don't look to doctor's reports, we don't look to financial statements, we don't look to political news, we don't look to relational things, we look to God alone. And when we look to Him alone, our lives can glorify God despite the suffering if we'll have this mindset we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. But the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Only Christians can rejoice or boast in our weaknesses, our sufferings, because of our 100% guarantee of our salvation. One day, and likely after suffering, if we don't die immediately, our death will be a suffering death. But one day, we will wake up in heaven and we will be perfectly pain-free, perfectly worry-free, politics-free, trouble-free, care-free, drug-free, fear-free, confusion-free, insurance-free, flesh-free, sin-free, etc., and etc. And we will be perfectly whole. We'll be perfectly happy. We'll be perfectly complete. We'll be perfectly healthy and healed. We'll be perfectly content. We'll be perfectly loving. We'll be perfectly joyful. We'll be perfectly worshipful. We'll be perfectly 
like Jesus. Now can you rejoice in your suffering? See how eternity and opening our eyes in faith to look past the suffering to what's coming helps us to suffer well. Helps us to have a hope that the world doesn't have hope after their suffering. It just gets worse for them. But for us, we have a seat at the table. We have access to God's grace. We have hope of the glory of God because of Christ. And we can suffer and rejoice in that suffering. So an application. And quickly before we remember the Lord's table. What needs to change in your life, in you, so that you, so your life looks like that you have those, those four things? I'll put those up in a second. Changing behavior by changing beliefs. If you can see here, it may be small. If you want to copy this, I'll give it to you. The ungodly life over here. How do we know a life is ungodly? Because we can all observe behavior. And as we observe behavior, we're thinking, well, there are some thoughts that are leading to that behavior, and that behavior is awful. The thoughts are bad, like I deserve better than this. I deserve to complain, or whatever it is, and their thoughts are bad. Your behavior's bad. Your thoughts are bad. And going down below the root where no one can see now is beliefs. What's the crux of this whole how to change behavior is we have to stop believing lies and start believing truth. All of us believe lies. One of my teachers uh, in counseling said, behind every sin is belief in a lie. And to believe truth is where the change happens. Now, this lifestyle over here of an ungodly life is all fed by lies about who God is, about who I am, about what He's doing, what I need to be doing. And I need to change my behavior, but I have to change my thoughts. I have to change what I believe to be true. And when I believe truth, of which Romans is giving us heavy doses of truth every week, what we're doing is changing what we believe. And as we change what we believe, now we look at our suffering differently. And our thoughts now are not leading to an ungodly life. Our thoughts are leading to a godly life. And as we think what is true and honest and just and pure and lovely, our life then, our behavior starts changing. And when our behavior changes, other people can see it and they see a change in your behavior and who are you giving glory to for the change in your behavior? Jesus! He's the only reason you're at the table. He's the only reason you have God's grace. He's the only reason you can rejoice in suffering. It's through Him. Faith in Him. It's Him alone. So what needs to change in your life? As the Holy Spirit has put His finger on things in your life this week, would, you, would your life look like you have peace with God? Would your life look like you have access to God's grace? And would your life look like you're boasting in a sure hope? Would your life look like you're boasting in suffering? If not, what needs to change? There are sinful lies that you're believing, that you're thinking about. You're meditating on those lies day and night. And they're causing you to stay ungodly. I can't change your behavior for you. I can't change your thoughts. I can show you where truth is. But you have to decide that you're going to meditate on truth day and night. And then, and only then, 
will your, your life be successful from the Old Testament? Joshua 1. Psalm 1. Uh, you'll see this tree model in, um, in those places. So as we transition to the Lord's table, we'll give you uh, time as the piano plays before um, our communion time to get right with the Lord. Repent of sin. Down here with the lies to truth, as you realize that you have believed lies, you need to repent of believing lies. You, have, you and I have no excuse to believe lies if we have the truth. If you're ignorant of the truth, that's still no excuse. You have to study God's Word. You have to read it. You have to know what God says in His Word. And as you believe lies, you have to repent of believing lies to replace those lies with truth. Repent of behavior, repent of thoughts, repent of beliefs that are all based on lies. And stop trusting your own understanding and start trusting in God's Word. So as um, our pianist plays, we will uh, prepare our hearts for communion.